It's not a big national election year, but that doesn't mean there aren't crucial issues being decided at your local ballot box on this special hour-long edition of the program. We bring you two back-to-back -back mayoral debates. Voters in Wyandotte County are picking a new leader. Plus, there's a seismic shift in power taking place in Johnson County. Carl Gerlach is calling it quits. Should this man or this man be the next mayor of Overland Park? All four candidates are heading to our studios to be with me in person. Plus, our reporters are here to dissect the rest of the week's biggest local headlines. It's all straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, everyone. I'm Nick Haynes. Great news. You get twice as much Week in Review this week. We're a full hour as we bring you the candidates for mayor in Overland Park and Wyandotte County. And you get all the same analysis you come to expect from our reporters as we dissect the week's top local headlines. But first, cast your mind back four years. It was the most stunning local election upset of 2017. Longtime Wyandotte County Mayor Mark Holland ousted from office by a Rockhurst High School administrator by the name of David Alvey. Four years later, Mayor Alvey wants your vote for a second term. Standing in his way is this man, Tyrone Garner, a former top leader in the Kansas City, Kansas uh, Police Department. I'd like to start, if it's okay with you, with a trip down memory lane. This was our Week in Review show four years ago this week. Our city is a great place to live and raise a family, and I want to continue to improve it. I would suggest that this election is a referendum on Mark Holland's leadership. I feel like too many neighborhoods, too many small businesses, too many uh, taxpayers feel neglected, they feel left out, they feel alienated. People feeling left out and neglected, you said, four years ago. And if you go to the very top of your website today, I've been trolling your mm -hmm. website, if it's okay with you, uh, Mayor Alvey, and you say you're going to be improving the look, feel, and function of Wyandotte County and Kansas City, Kansas over the last four years. Name one thing you have done to improve the look, feel, and function of Wyandotte County since you've been mayor. Well, you know, there's so many things we could really talk about our response to COVID. What would you say has been your biggest? Probably our response to COVID. You know, that, that no one could have anticipated this. Really, no one could see what this would do. So immediately, knowing what this pandemic could mean, because my mother actually had been, was a public health nurse, had been the first uh, public Wyandotte County nurse in the Wyandotte County Jail. She understood how, you know, diseases spread and how you have to get out in front of these. So my mom's own experience really inspired me to understand we've got to get out in front of this. So the first thing we did is we convened our public health department with leaders from throughout Wyandotte County, major institutions, including our federal delegation leadership, and had daily meetings to say, what information do we have? What information do we need to get out? What kinds of programs and interventions do we need to put in place to make sure that we can protect the people of Wyandotte County? So I would say that was probably the most important challenge and really, our, I think, uh, what we did best. And you had and were known as having the strictest COVID policy in our entire metropolitan area. Does your opponent, Mayor Alvey, deserve a pat on the back for that, Tyrone Garner, or would you have done things differently? Well, I think we agree. I, I think we can agree that uh, COVID was something that none of us anticipated. It was unexpected, and it was no fault of anybody. Um, and uh, here's what I would have done. I think we could have done a better job of reaching out to our, our neighborhood groups. Uh, there was over 
80 neighborhood groups and community groups in Wyandotte County. And the feedback for me from some of these groups is they were left out of that equation in that conversation. A lot of decisions have been made for the people of Wyandotte County, but they're not being made with the people of Wyandotte County. Uh, no, that's simply not the truth. Uh, you know, the, what we also convened because this, the, the virus, you remember in Wyandotte County, spread quite quickly through our nursing homes, but also through our faith community. And so we also convened a meeting of pastors in the area to make sure that we were getting them the information that they needed so they could give it to their congregants. And I've been, you know, uh, several of the pastors have thanked me, in fact, for the leadership we did to engage them and to engage the larger community. If you head to your website, Tyrone Garner, you see this line. Um, I speak to people all of the time who are, quote, tired of misguided and disengaged leadership. They are tired of the years of broken promises. What's the biggest broken promise in your view? The biggest broken promise is, is when you look at the commitments that have been made to areas east of 635. And anyone, I challenge anyone to drive into Kansas City, Kansas, go east to west. And you can see the difference. Uh, I call it economic segregation. When you go from east to west, you can see um, the, the blight. You can see the disinvested in areas. Uh, it's shameful when you have people that have come to me and say they've had to beg leadership for grocery stores, for street lights at work, for vacant lots to be mowed, uh, for potholes to be filled. These are people and they deserve nothing less than the best um, that the unified government can offer. That's what something you complained about when you were running four yeah. years ago. Mm -hmm. So why haven't things been done to improve that? Well, in fact, they have. So if you look at the amount of capital investment the unified government has put in, in the northeast area, in that defined area, 21% of our capital improvement funds have gone in there in the last five years. That's only 8% of our land area, but it got received 21% of our capital improvement funds. Uh, the problem is, again, because of that long history of disinvestment, it is hard to attract people to invest there. We actually funded up a study to do to see whether we could locate a grocery store along parallel. And in fact, the company that we, we paid for the study said there are not enough rooftops here for us to sustain a store. So the, the strategy has got to be, and we're working on this and developing this, is bring in infill housing, create sustainable neighborhoods that are beautiful, environmentally sustainable, that are wealth building for families because long term that's going to change the trajectory of the Northeast. And so we're actively working on this and we do have a strategy in place. It's harder when you're in office because you have a record to run on. Some people in Wyandotte County may say, wow, cool. Tyrone Garner has got some interesting ideas, but wow, what type of experience has he got? This is a government that has a more than $400 million budget, you know, 2,300 employees, according to the Unified Government Press Office. Uh, what could you say to folks who are wavering that you have the type of background and experience that could actually handle that top job? Well, I, I want to start off by saying that I had no intention of running for mayor. I was approached by some community folks in the community that were tired of the merry-go-round to absolutely nowhere broken promises. Um, when I was approached, uh, I had to pray about it. And after praying, it was an easy yes. Because as a deputy chief of police, I had um, the privilege of being able to serve the community. At an executive level, where I work with staff uh, in the unified government um, on budgets, on personnel, with unions. I also had to go out into the community and connect with these neighborhood groups that I talked about to find real solutions to problems that affect the lives of real people every single day. And these people that support me, they know that I'm not just results driven, I have a track record of success. I was also elected to the community college board. Um, I was instrumental 
And if you go out to the Kansas City, Kansas Community College now, you'll see a lot of the improvements aesthetically to the college. That was done um, because of we wanted to attract students. We wanted to make sure that we had a nice college that not only uh, students could be proud of, but Wyandotte County could be proud of. And we did all that, those upgrades. You're talking about we there. What specific thing have you done that you can point to that would not have happened if it wasn't for Tyrone Garner's touch? Well, I pushed forward. Um, the daycare was closed out of the community college uh, a month before um, I took seat. Um, I made a commitment to my constituents that I was going to do everything I could to open that daycare because we did not want to close the door of opportunity to student working families that wanted to get an education to improve their lives. Let's rewind the tape from four years ago on another issue, this time crime. How do we address the 40% increase in violent crime that has occurred since Mayor Holland became mayor? Alrighty, David Alvey, in the last year of Mayor Holland's term, there were 41 murders. Last year in Wyandotte County, there were 58 homicides. That's mm -hmm. a 41% increase. If Mayor Holland failed on that issue, have you failed too? Well, I think that the community we're failing because this is something that goes across all sectors of the community. But I would say this, <clears throat> that since, you know, the past year, the homicide rate is down. What we saw across the nation last year was increase in homicides, increase in violent crimes. For our community, so much of this was, I think, in fact, partly not due, but exacerbated by the pandemic. Um, there, were, there were more gang-related shootings, there were more gang-related activities, and so those were kids who were not in school, and so that was one of the factors. Again, when you, when you lock down, you don't have that. Those kids don't have that daily contact. It makes a big difference. It put families under stress. So I think it's something that if we look at what Chief Oakman is doing now, taking place in trying to, first of all, hiring or, or naming an Hispanic liaison coordinator, which I think is excellent from, from the police department at that high level. Uh, also working with our school districts in pushing against violence with the program. Those are the kinds of things that can happen across the community. But I tell people that really, it's, it's really about families. If we can really help our families grow and be secure, then that's gonna take that pressure off. That's gonna reduce that crime. You can't have enough police officers to stop all crime. It really starts in the communities. It starts in the families. What's the single biggest impactful change you could make if you were elected mayor on crime in Wyandotte County? Well, I think the biggest impact is we need to get back to making sure that our uh, law enforcement officers, are they're fully staffed and funded. They have the personnel to do the job that they need to do. We need to get behind 21st century policing concepts that uh, Barack Obama put out in his report a few years back. Um, and then really hone in on community policing and looking at, um, I was instrumental while I was on the police department uh, in formulating the crisis intervention team, some people call it CIT, um, and putting that together. Mental illness is, is a huge uh, uh, impact uh, in today's world uh, on policing and really focusing a lot more attention on addressing those issues, not just of uh, mental illness, but of substance abuse as well. And so those are the things that I really would focus on, but more importantly, having the right leadership in place that's gonna support Carl Oakman, his eight-point plan, and making sure that we do everything that he has the funding, the resources that he needs to be successful in keeping our community you safe. You spent a lot of years in the Kansas City, Kansas Police Department, the FBI now investigating misconduct in that uh, department. Does the fact that you were one of the leaders of that department uh, help or hurt you now as you're running this campaign? I think it helps um, because I was outspoken in my support of, of Mark Dupree and his conviction integrity unit. Uh, I went against the grain. I know I've gotten some pushback from officers that say I don't back the blue, which is fine. It's not that I don't back the blue. I don't back bad police officers and I don't think anybody should. 
We don't think of immigration as a local issue, but sometimes it does intersect. This week there were a lot of people on the streets of Kansas City, Kansas, calling out your name, Mayor Alvey. They want municipal ID cards for 30,000 undocumented workers and the homeless who don't have photo identification. It's a hurdle, they say, that makes it difficult for them to enroll their children in school, open a bank account, get a library card. If you missed the story, here's some of those scenes from earlier this week. The Kansas City, Kansas community and a broad coalition of activist groups marched downtown. Many at the rally say they've been working toward this for nearly five years, but the unified government has stalled it out. It's been very slow. They're not making progress. It's avoidance. If they want to make progress, then you welcome people. Mayor Alvey, this is an election year. Why wouldn't you just say, okay, let's just do this. Let's just make this happen. Well, we are making it happen. I mean, this is what's disturbing to me is about the approach that this, these groups have taken is we have been meeting with them. Our attorney has been meeting with them on a regular basis over the past several months and trying to work out a program. What they're expecting is I'm good with the municipal ID. If someone needs an ID to access services, we're good with that. We did a report in 2019 thoroughly about what would municipal ID look like. And so we actually had multiple options that we could to implement this. In fact, options that would allow people to become banked, uh, get inside the banking system and be able to access financial services, which would be a great leap forward for many people. And so that was all ready to go. What came back was you have to, in fact, have a, 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 an ordinance that would mandate non-compliance with immigration and customs enforcement. Well, the problem with that is we have multiple uh, agreements, grants from the Department of Justice that the Commission has approved over the years and that I signed off on that require us to work with other federal agencies. We can't separate out any agency. It's federal law that prohibits that. We cannot go against that. Even our attorney cannot bring forward to us a, a proposal that would violate federal law. Now, Again, they said that we cannot do a municipal ID unless we have that piece in there. Well, then that's a non-starter. So we continue to work with them. In fact, just two weeks last week, our attorney met, and then the protest came. It just seems to me to be a disingenuous process. You know, I went through your website, and I actually didn't see municipal IDs listed on there. Is this a non-issue? It is an issue. And just to make it clear, uh, I disagree with the mayor on that fact. I think what, needs is, what this community needs is leadership. I stand firmly behind uh, safe and welcoming and making that an ordinance. I think what needs to happen is we need to get at the table. Uh, as a Mayor Garner, if I'm elected, I'm going to get at the table with these folks and I'm going to lead a blue ribbon panel to have that discussion. There are other cities that have done this. They've done it successfully. I'd like to go talk to the, their leadership and see how they've done that. And if the mayor, if what he's saying is true, that there's uh, federal mandates in place, I want to take a second look at that and talk to these folks and say, how can we at least get something on the table that is going to push forward um, the will of the people? Um, we have a, a huge immigrant population. We have uh, folks that are homeless. We have folks that are poor. We have folks that have been uh, recently released uh, from being incarcerated. It would help all these folks uh, at least uh, be able to move forward in life in a positive direction. High on your website as a commitment is to streamline government. So what uh, program or service that's currently offered in Wyandotte County would you cut or eliminate if you're elected? Well, I still think there's a lot of duplication of services, but before we can even get to talking about that, I want a full, top-down, independent audit of both the unified government and the BPU. I want recommendations on not only how we can streamline government, but how we can 
basically find cost savings and tax savings and put but, but you've not identified any one specific program or service well, at this I point? mean you can take certain departments and look I mean look at the budgeting offices that, that exist between BPU and uh, the unified government you can consolidate some of those I think that right now uh, when I talk about streamlining you've got a lot of and I'm just gonna put it for the audience to know there's a lot of cheats um, and there's not enough Indians and you're talking about a lot of high-paying jobs um, that I think um, through attrition can be eliminated. Some of our viewers have more simple passions, some simple goals in mind, and, and one of them is I'll vote for the person who is going to bring the streetcar to Wyandotte County. Which of you is more likely to do that? Mayor. <laughs> well, so I will say this, that uh, when I first became mayor, one of the first things I brought to our legislative delegation in Washington was an opportunity. We need to get the streetcar moving across. The, the ideal thing would be 39th Street over to KU Med, but then ultimately take it up 7th Street to Minnesota Avenue and then back across. The difficulty is the way they funded this in the Missouri side was to really assess the property owners along the side, and they went along the dense routes. So that generated the income necessary, the revenues necessary to support that. We're going to have large sections where there won't be as many property owners to contribute to that, and so it's going to require much more federal help. But I put that in as a placeholder actually three years ago. So you, you have no interest in that? Anything that is going to increase the development opportunities. Here's my vision. We talk a lot about Village West and the success out there, and it's great, the things that have been done at Village West. Um, but I see that the eastern portion of Wyandotte County is a gold mine, and it's ripe and ready for development. When you talk about where it sits, centrally located in the metropolitan area. I've talked to developers. They are ready to come in and get things done. They say in between the bureaucracy and some of the, the pushback that they've gotten from staff at City Hall, they can't get these things done. You should not have to be powerful, privileged, connected, or wealthy anywhere in Wyandotte County to get things done. Those days of politics of usual under a Garner administration are going to come to a screeching halt. And that's my commitment, not just to the people that support me, but to everybody in Wyandotte County and anybody that wants to come to Wyandotte County. There is already a tremendous amount of economic development happening on the east side. You know, we could talk about the Boulevard Lofts. You could talk about the Merck Grocery Store, the apartments that are planned for 5th and Central, the apartments in, in the yards, the Rock Island Bridge, the new Menards going at I-35 and 18th Street. Those things are moving forward. The, the very things that Mr. Garner is saying are what I've been saying for the past four years. If you go to any of my uh, state of the government addresses, you're going to hear the focus on neighborhood. How do we take this development that's already happening, accelerate it and enhance it to make sure that it is incremental and encompasses a diversity of builders and sizes so that we can actually recreate the tax base we need. Two different visions for the future of Wyandotte County. Mayor David Alvey and Tyrone Garner, the two candidates vying for your vote to lead the unified government of Wyandotte County and Kansas City, Kansas over the next four years. By the way, early in-person voting begins this weekend. The election is November 2nd. Still to come on this special hour-long edition of uh, Week in Review, Kurt Skoog and Mike Sanigi are racing to our studio to air out their differences as we lift up the hood on the race to be the next mayor of Overland Park. But first, we dissect the week's other big local headlines with our reporters. They're with us next. Checking in with us now on the big screen to dissect the week's other big stories are Steve Vokrot from the NPR Midwest desk, Dave Helling of your Kansas City Star, and nationally syndicated columnist Mary Sanchez with the Tribune News Service, who I hope it's okay to say is going to be my colleague at the start of next month as you become the senior reporter for our digital newsroom, Flatland. So I'm going to be able to get to see you in person, Mary? 
Yes. <laughs> yes, I'll be in the office. I'm excited about that. Well, let's start with the World Cup. This is a make-it-or-break-it week in Kansas City's quest to host at least one or two games in the world's most watched sporting event. A 20-member delegation from FIFA, the international governing body for soccer, has been in town to check out everything from hotels to transportation, soccer training facilities to Arrowhead Stadium. That's where the games would be played in 2026 if Kansas City is selected. McQuinton Lucas says if Kansas City is picked, it could be worth as much as a billion dollars to the metro area. Does that seem a little overly optimistic, Steve Ockrod? It certainly could be. I don't know exactly where the mayor got that figure. And as these things go with these financial projections, what they often tend to be are these multipliers that are developed by you know, folks in the industry, um, people who are really trying to promote these events and so that it sounds like a good deal for the public. You know, the financial projections on these things tend to be pretty murky. So I put a little less stock into that, but certainly, you know, in terms of the image for the city, it could be a, a, a net benefit. We certainly get the impression that, oh, wow, we're going to be having the finals here. We're talking about some early round games here, Mary. Will the enthusiasm dip if it's only a early round match between Albania and Iran, for instance, that we get in Kansas City? No, I don't think so. I mean, the World Cup, frankly, is on my bucket list. I always wanted to go to one and I wouldn't have cared which game that I attended just to be there. Um, and I think that that sort of fervor is what we're chasing after and to brand Kansas City along with it. And a lot of news sites, Dave Helling, say we are realistic contenders. This is not just the uh, marketing of Kansas City here. Uh, even Fox News saying we're realistic contenders, Fox Sports. It's claimed Kansas City is some of the best fans and training facilities uh, in Major League Soccer. What are Kansas City's shortcomings, though, compared to other cities? Well, a couple of things, Nick. Uh, first, mass transit remains an issue and will be an issue in 2026, even though the streetcar may, at least some parts of it, may be operable in some places beyond what it is now. But the idea of moving that many people to these venues painlessly, it remains a challenge compared to other cities with uh, more uh, robust uh, mass transit, including uh, rail transit. So that's an issue. Hotel space might be an issue. I think that uh, there will have to be. That's always the discussion in Kansas City. I remember covering the Republican National Convention uh, delegates here in, in 2016, considering Kansas City as a location, and transportation and hotel space were the main issues they were worried about. Some fans may end up in Lawrence or Topeka or, or in St. Joe, that type of thing. And that is always a concern for groups that are visiting on issues like this. And Fox Sports, by the way, also saying that Arrowhead Stadium will be one of the oldest venues that they are considering, even though we view it as a prized asset here, one of the oldest being considered. Is there another challenge we need to be paying attention to? And that's the police. Chief Rick Smith at last month's Board of uh, Commissioners meeting said his department would not have enough staff to securely cover such an event. That's on top of this week's decision, by the way, that's getting a lot of headlines, that the police department Department is discontinuing foot patrols downtown due to a shortage of officers, Mary? If we had the World Cup here, I guarantee you our federal partners would be involved in that. Our highway systems, there are many issues of security that would call in all sorts of partners to manage. It wouldn't be just the Kansas City Police Department managing that venue and all those numbers of people. Remember, Nick, the World Cup isn't until 2026. So to suggest that uh, the situation in 2021 is definitive 
is just not right. I mean, a lot of things can change over five years. And if we're awarded these uh, preliminary gains, you can bet that there will be a, an intense uh, discussion of where to come up with the money with the, to provide the needed police officers. Mary's right, federal money might be involved. The state might come in. I mean, I think that's less of a concern than the immediate fight between City Hall and the police department over the money that was allocated this year and will be allocated next. And we won't know, by the way, on the World Cup and what the decision is about having any games in Kansas City until the beginning of next year. It was an interesting week on both sides of state line when it came to COVID policy. Check out these three headlines. Jackson County pays Elise Summit Church more than $70,000 to help settle a lawsuit over the county's COVID measures. The church had argued they were required to restrict attendance while grocery stores and other retailers in the county did not. In Johnson County, there's a befuddling decision over mask mandates. The city of Prairie Village votes to drop its mask mandate, while Roland Park votes to extend its face covering requirement to the middle of November. Is the science really that different when you move just a few blocks in Johnson County? And Ray's Cafe, that was making national news for defying mask mandates, is taking its money elsewhere. After being forced to shut down, Rays is moving from Blue Springs to Independence, where there is no mask mandate. All righty, three stories that test the scope and size of local COVID policies. Steve Ockrod, I mean, when you see things like Rays Cafe moving from one place to another, I mean, is that just an isolated example? Are we seeing a lot of that going on now in our metropolitan areas as some people try to find places where there are more liberal COVID policies in place? Rays is the kind of most striking and only example of its type that I'm aware of so far. And I think there's some politics, you know, the, the, the question that was posed in, you know, the, the, the voiceover is, is the science that different? And I don't think it's really a science issue. I think it's more of a polit political and kind of a social cultural issue. I think there's some politicians who are kind of tired of dealing with it. And there's a balancing act between, you know, public health and, uh, and, and, and just the political realm of the, these questions. So is that why you see such a big difference in the decision making of uh, Prairie Village versus Roland Park? which is, you know, you can almost stretch your arm to get between the two places, and yet uh, they take very different decisions about what to do with masks this week. Well, I mean, this is just an example of how tragic it has been, how COVID has played out, not only obviously in the deaths and the human suffering, but that it was politicized so early on. And therein, you know, now you've got differences between two jurisdictions that are really neighborhoods. There were two sets of uh, contentious town hall meetings this week in Kansas City, and one of those was about redistricting. Show us a map. Show us what you're saying. We need representation. For the summer, Kansas lawmakers met in packed rooms with citizens to decide how they should redraw political maps based on new population numbers from the census. Now, it's Missouri's turn to official public hearings on that this week at the downtown Marriott. We're told this is really important, Dave Helling, because it sets the actual rules of the political game. But looking at this video, I wouldn't say they were overwhelmed by crowds. No, because redistricting is really, for most uh, just everyday uh, residents, Nick, um, inside baseball. You know, tell me who my representative is, which district I'm in, and I'll be happy with it. Those who watch politics closely, including reporters, of course, but members of the public understand redistricting is everything. You know, it's really a determinant of how elections are run and how decisions are made. That's particularly true on the state level for state Senate and House districts, Nick, as you know, having covered a state house. And yet you also know this. If you went down to the plaza today and said, hey, who's your state representative? 
in either state, it's very likely people would not know. So there's this always been this incongruity between the important decisions made at that level and the level of interest in how those choices are actually made. But these hearings are going on, Steve Volkrot, all across the state in St. Louis, Springfield, Kansas City, as we just saw. Uh, do we have any hints about what these maps will be and, and uh, who will lose as a result of that? Is Emmanuel Cleaver going to find himself uh, with fewer Democrats in that fifth district as a result of these political maps? We don't know yet, and it's going to take some time. And I think there's a pretty decent likelihood that it'll end up in the courts. But to the, you know, the folks who are very involved in politics, this is a battle royale because it affects how, how and who gets elected for the next 10 years. Part of the mission of this program is to hold our public officials accountable. We may know the mayor and the name of our city council member, but we may not pay any attention to these other big city agencies that are unelected. This week, the head of Kansas City's Economic Development Corporation is fired amid accusations she misused agency funds, changed nepotism rules, paid her husband, and gave herself a loan. Steve, you broke the story. What does the EDC do, and what is the significance of Teresa McCord's firing this week? So the EDC is an organization that oversees these agencies that hand out tax breaks and incentives for commercial development. So, you know, the redevelopment of the Power and Light District, for example, the EDC had a hand in that. The development of Union Hill, the EDC had a hand in that. Uh, so they aren't, you know, the type of organization that everybody talks about when they sit around the dinner table, but they're an important agency. Do we have worries here about taxpayer money being wasted as a result of this, Dave Helling, or is the EDC EDC doesn't use taxpayer money. Well, EDC gets most of its funding from the deals that it helps put together, Nick. But it's always a concern when a quasi-public agency has some evidence that there's um, misfeasance or malfeasance at the top. Um, and, and more people, frankly, and I think Steve would agree with this, more people need to pay attention to what the EDC does, Absolutely. because those are the folks that are working on the incentive deals that become so controversial over time. We need to keep an eye on what's going on down there, which is the point of Steve's story and others about that agency. Absolutely. It's been shuttered for more than a decade. Now, finally, the Kansas City Museum reopens this week after undergoing a $22 million facelift. Starting this weekend, you can experience three floors worth of exhibits that tell the past, present and future of the city. But there has to be an entire generation of Kansas Cityans who have absolutely no idea we even had a museum dedicated to telling Kansas City's story. Is that unfair, Mary? Oh, I think so, because it is a wonderful resource. Um, I've heard from people that have already been through it that it's, the remodel is absolutely beautiful. They wish that it was a little different in some ways, and maybe that'll change as they go forward. They wanted it to be a little bit more interactive. Um, but one of the things about the museum is it's not only what is on display, it's their collections. And the Kansas City Museum is a treasure. I mean, they are holding and archiving so many things that are so important to Kansas City. So I hope it does become the place that every school kid makes the trip, the field trip there, um, to go through. Best of all, Dave Helling, it's absolutely free. But you have been a critic on this program before about museums and how they can continue to attract people. Um, this is not, as Mary pointed out, one of those you're going to be touching buttons and doing all of these immersive, interactive experiences. Critical is probably the wrong way to put it, Nick. I'd say that I think that Kansas City, and by the way, the Kansas City Museum is a beautiful building. Keep that in mind. That that uh, mansion is just nice to look at and, and really part of Kansas City history. So it was worth saving. But we don't have a regular mechanism 
for making sure that all of our museum attractions not only are fully funded, but are able to rotate their exhibits, Nick. That's so important. You could go out to the Kansas City Museum once and think it's great. What's the reason to go back? And that's what really you need to do to make museums successful, which Union Station has learned, by the way. They rotate exhibits. They have new attractions. That gives people a reason to go back. We need to have some sort of coordinated effort to do that with all the museums in Kansas City and in the region, and we do not. But but go out and see the new museum. That, that building is just fabulous. Dave Helling, Mary Sanchez, Steve Vaucroft, thank you for dissecting the headlines with us. Coming up next, we head over to Johnson County, where there's a big race underway to become mayor of Overland Park. The candidates are getting in place right now. They're straight ahead on our hour-long election edition of Week in Review. One of the stories we missed in our look at the local headlines is this one. Did you see that Overland Park officially declared Monday Jason Sudeikis Day? The Ted Lasso welcome wagon has arrived. Ted! The City Council honoring the Overland Park native for his acting accomplishments and his charitable contributions as co-founder of the Big Slick, which brings together celebrities from around the country to support Children's Mercy Hospital. But I'm not quite sure what you're supposed to do on Jason Sudeikis Day other than to binge-watch Ted Lasso or perhaps take selfies outside of Shawnee Mission West, where Sudeikis went to high school. But here's another way to celebrate. How about getting to know the two men who want to lead Overland Park for the next four years? Longtime Mayor Carl Gerlach is departing and longtime city councilman Kurt Skoog wants to fill his shoes. Not so fast, says Mike Zinnegi, a former top executive with the AMC movie theater chain, who's convinced he's the man for the job. Thank you so much for being with us today. By the way, we've just saw that the World Cup, you know, the Kansas City is trying to get the World Cup in 2026. But you are not to be left undone because I did see these T-shirts. This is Overland Park for the Olympics in 2038 from Ray Gunn. I see these in stores here. How is that bid going, by the way, Kurt? It, it's a, it is a, a big, audacious goal, and we're working on it. So uh, I have that shirt myself. Now, I'm assuming, though, because you're against tax giveaways, Mike, that the, bringing the Olympics is not one of your priorities. I'm against tax giveaways for retail and apartments when they should, uh, businesses should be investing their own capital. For the, you know, most of us just see your yard signs at this point or the mailer that comes through. We don't know a huge about, about you. Let's start with you, Kurt Skoog. I, we, we have a sense for the last 16 years of Carl Gerlach. Uh, he, his height has made him very distinctive. In fact, he played for the NBA. He was with the Atlanta Hawks. How are you going to be a different mayor than Carl Gerlach? Or you be, you know, some people say you're just going to be a status quo imitator of what Carl Gerlach has done. Well, I've been proud to have uh, been on the city council and been at the table with Carl for the last 16 years, building this incredible town over the park. We just got ranked the seventh best place to live in America by Money Magazine. And, and this week, by livability, we got ranked the third best place to live in America. And that has been based on working with the community to keep moving us forward. So uh, I've been proud to be endorsed by Carl and his predecessor, Ed Eilert, uh, but I'm a different generation and have a different, uh, we're going we're gonna to build the city on the strengths that they built and keep us moving forward. Beyond just being a councilman, I was looking through your bio, it says you're the Kansas City branch manager for IBTS, the Institute for Building Technology and Safety. There's a lot going on there. You probably need an expansion on your <laughs> business card to go through that. But if I run into you in the cereal aisle of Price Chopper and ask you in 20 seconds or less what you do, what would you tell me? 
So we help uh, small cities and counties um, provide services in planning and development and planning and zoning. Cities and counties that don't have city staff, we act as their city staff. Mike Zanaki, you were a top executive with the AMC movie theater chain. Some people say, how cool is that? And there could be a downside. Some people say, oh my God, is soda going to go up to $7 because uh, you're going to be there? And is the Overland Park uh, Council going to be in these reclining chairs with cup holders on them based on your experience with the theater chain? Um, I, I don't think so. I hope uh, soda doesn't go to $7 um, a cup. I, I enjoy my Diet Coke. Um, but uh, uh, the, the theater business has gone, undergone a lot of change in the last few years um, with the studios, with uh, supply chain issues, with production, with streaming, and uh, it was an exciting job. I was there for 13 years. How is that background, though, helping you in your campaign to be mayor? Kurt School has already been there for 16 years. He's seen what happens at City Hall, knows how it all operates. Sure. Aren't you at a disadvantage there? I don't think so. Uh, and from the messages I've, I've received from uh, the residents, uh, as we knocked on, we've we've knocked on almost 28,000 doors since the beginning of this race. Uh, they they like the idea of an outsider. They like the idea of a senior executive bringing business experience to city council and giving it a different look. Some people have bristled at the idea that you have the Republican GOP elephant sign on your yard signs because this they is have. supposedly nonpartisan races. You talk about uh, wanting to be uh, also about being a pro-life candidate, for instance, and you know, talking about a lot of things that some people view as national issues. Why run for this office? Why not for the state legislature or Congress if you have so many passions in those areas? It's because of what you'd said earlier. The most important thing is what happens in your backyard. Um, I've been a resident of Overland Park for 30 plus years. And, and my, my stay in Overland Park and how I got here is a little bit different than most people. We picked, we, were live, we got married in Connecticut, lived there for several years and had babies. Um, I had a job that I traveled five days a week to different continents within the United States so I could live anywhere. So we intentionally picked Overland Park. We looked at a number of cities where we had family, Louisville, uh, Raleigh, Cincinnati, all, all across the country, and we picked Overland Park intentionally. We've lived here for 30 years, um, and, the la and it's a great place to live. As Kurt said, we've been rated five or seven, and it, it, it's a top city. The issue is like in business. When you're looking at your uh, current year income statement over the past couple years, and it looks like a great income statement, your share price is doing well, but you start looking at leading indicators, and your market share has been declining for the past four or five years, or your gross margins have been declining over the past four or five years, you've got some issues on the horizon. It's going in the wrong direction. And that's where I think we are with Overland Park. It's been a great place to live, but with crime up, taxes up, infrastructure that's decaying, and rezoning and overcrowding, we've got some issues we need to address right here, right now, so that this is a great place for our children and grandchildren. What is the issue that most people in Overland Park are most concerned about? Now, according to a survey in May from the Overland Park Chamber that was commissioned by the Overland Park Chamber, number one issue, Kurt, was crime and drugs. In fact, that's one of the top items on your website, sure. as it is on yours. Sure. But name one thing you would do to actually make neighborhoods in Overland Park safer if you were elected mayor. Well, uh, the important thing to understand is the Overland Park overall crime rate is pretty much unchanged for five years. Um, that uh, the violent crime increase that we have seen is almost extensively domestic violence, primarily from COVID 
and other issues. So I can tell you what I've done and what I'm going to continue to do. In the budget we just approved that Mike is against, we added 26 positions to the police department. 11 of those are for a behavioral health unit to help those with mental health challenges in our community that drive a high volume of our police activity. That will free up our other officers to be more proactive and be active in the streets. We've increased uh, our, our uh, police activity uh, in, 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 in response. COVID has moved criminals from parking lots at malls and grocery stores into neighborhoods. And so we're educating neighbors about locking their cars and getting their valuables out of their car. And we're increasing uh, our police presence in those neighborhoods. Uh, and so uh, we do not have a crime problem. My, uh, my opponent thinks that our schools are unsafe. He's running a campaign of fear. We have the safest city, one of the safest cities in the country. We have the safest schools in the country. And we will continue to do that under, under my leadership as mayor. It is the top item on your website. It is the top item on my website. Let, let me um, make a couple comments about what Kurt had just said. Um, he keeps referring to me being against the additional law enforcement and mental health couldn't be further from the truth. We need those law enforcement officers. We're still below the level we were in 2010 when they eliminated open positions. We have 259 versus 263. We need those law enforcement. We need mental health. I've always been for those. I've been against the way the city deceived the voters in how they wanted the 10% increase. There was plenty of money in that budget to cover them. So that's, that's the first issue. The second issue is Kurt talks about the rise in violent crime, and it's true. He wants to look at only 2020, and that there was a, a significant rise in, in domestic violence. But if you look at the Kansas Bureau of Investigation numbers from 2016 to 2020, there's a 37% rise in violent crime, rape, murder, aggravated assault, and a 36% rise in property crime. Just two so what, what specifically would you do then if you were mayor that is, that is not being done now? Um, continue to increase the, the number of police officers we have on the force. The number of officers to residents is below where it was in 2010 because we've added 30,000 residents. I didn't think you liked tax increases. So how would you pay you know, for those police officers? I don't know that we need a tax increase. How would you what pay we, for it? What we need to do is go through the, the budget. Um, the budget was not put together in the way that I would typically do zero-based budgeting as, as I was running multi-million dollar budgets in, in business. What would be your biggest difference, the biggest difference in your approach than Carl Gerlach, what we have managed to see over the last 16 years? Well, I think the, the biggest difference uh, between Carl and I is a, a generational change. Uh, I'm about building a community that is appealing to our grandchildren and, uh, and children. Uh, you know, Mike tells a wonderful story about why he chose to be here 30 years ago. I want to build the community that young people want to come to today. And that's different than what Overland Park was in the 1980s and 1990s. Young people today are looking for a more dynamic place where they can gather. And can, can you give me one example of that? Well, I think downtown Kansas Overland Park is a key example of the kind of place that we need to build across the city. Each area will have a different culture, I mean, a different feel, a different personality. It won't all look like downtown Overland Park, but it will have that feel, that multi-generational. If you haven't been to Strang Hall or Thompson Park in downtown Overland Park, go. It is exciting. It is a dynamic, and it is what uh, the residents of the future are looking for. I want to tick off a variety of hot-button issues that our own viewers 
have told us about, and I want to get your views on them. And so let's begin with this. If I don't want to pay a toll to drive on 69 Highway, who is the candidate most likely to prevent that from happening? Well, the mayor signed the letter this week, so that deal is done. What we did is I voted for it to save our taxpayers $20 million. Mike? Um, I, I have, agree, I have uh, not disagreed that we need to do something on 69 Highway. I've even met with the uh, heavy constructors uh, CEO uh, about it, and we've talked about it that, it, that it needs to be done. My issue from the beginning has been the funding of that. Um, and uh, Kurt says they've been working on it for 10 years. We should have been working on it differently over 10 years. We should have been working with the legislature so that KDOT had the money in the budget and it wasn't swept out at the end of the year to cover their shortfalls. But, but the decision has been made. The decision has been made. If I don't like wearing masks so I have a business and I don't want anyone telling me I have to limit how many people can come in, who's my candidate? That's me. I believe masks, vaccines should be individual choices based on your individual health risks um, in consultation with your doctors. Uh, uh, Kurt likes to say he's following the science. The real science says that those of us that have had COVID have natural immunities stronger and longer lasting than vaccines. So, and that those of us that have had it with natural immunity have a two to three times higher percent, two to three times um, incident of problems from the vaccine. So why should I have to risk my life to take a vaccine if my physician says you have a higher risk of having a problem and you get no benefit from it? Well, first, I want you to know that you should get the vaccine and your life is not at risk for taking the vaccine. But as mayor, I believe in science and I'm going to follow the Johnson County Health Department. They are the experts. They're the ones who, want, who, who will give us the right advice to make sure that our kids can stay in school and our businesses can stay open. If I worry that only the rich can now afford to live in Overland Park and there's no affordable housing for working families, who's my guy? That's me for sure, no doubt about it. Why? Uh, Mike would like to go back to the 1990s or 1960s. He refers to this regularly. We need di diverse housing choices, and uh, we're in the process of making diverse housing choices. We have a long way to go. We need to have housing that teachers and our first responders and our new young professionals that are coming to work at our great new jobs in Overland Park have a place to live within the boundaries of the city of Overland Park. And, and I believe that we should be able to have affordable housing, too. The way we go about it is a little bit differently. Kurt keeps pushing through rezoning into neighborhoods and tax abatements, high-rise apartment buildings that are luxury apartment buildings, rent starting at 11, 1200 going up to 3500 I don't believe that's affordable housing. I don't believe that's what people need to be here. But My you, you do have on your website, though, stop incentivizing apartment development. Yes. Is it just luxury apartments you're against? Would you uh, support then lower income apartments in Overland Park? I'd need to look at them and where, the, where they're being placed and what effect they have on, on the neighborhoods, on flood, flooding runoff. That's true for any apartments. We also need to look at revitalizing our older neighborhoods. And if we're going to give tax incentives, I would encourage us to look at tax incentives for young people to move into older areas of Overland Park in some of the smaller homes that are more affordable. They can rehab them. They revitalize the neighborhoods. They find lower income housing and everybody wins. Nick, if I could just say that we do not incent apartment buildings. There's a perception that every apartment building is getting a subsidy. That is not true. 
There's no apartment building south of 119th that has gotten any kind of incentive. So uh, it's, it's just a false narrative that we're subsidizing every apartment building in Overland Park. It's not there, true. there is this perspective, though, that Kurt Skoog is in, there, you know, in the pockets of developers. He's putting developers before homeowners. What can you t say to wary uh, viewers right now who may have that worry that you are going to put them first, not developers? Well, I want you to ask the residents of North Overland Park. So in North Overland Park, I have been the leading advocate for implementing Vision Metcalf. So in Vision Metcalf, we have used 12 TIFs to alleviate blight in the commercial centers and have built um, downtown Overland Park, 95th and Metcalf. I was just at Ryan Transportation Shamrock yesterday. That is a transformation from a dilapidated uh, old Kmart building and across the street was the old mall. Those are all gone. And those are gone because the city participated with the private development to make a transition that supports the neighborhoods. $540 million of private investment inside 435 because the community came together, created a vision, and we have implemented it in Northern Overland Park. 119th is a pretty fine line. At 115th in Knoll, the city just granted that developer, the, that large apartment building, $13 million to help him finish that in the way. Um, furthermore, at Deer Creek, the developer is asking for a variance to, to go from R1 residential to R6, and they're asking for a $10 million TIF to do it to improve the golf course that the city has almost destroyed because of the water runoff. Additionally, if you're asking who's in bed with developers, in your term, not mine, if you look at my campaign finance report before the primary, all of my contributions have come from residents. It looks like the white pages of, Yell of uh, Overland Park residents. If you look at Kurtz, over 60% of his campaign financing, over $30,000 came from commercial real estate develop commercial real estate agents, commercial developers, um, construction companies, civil engineering, and attorneys. Two, two of the largest uh, legal firms have actually held either fundraisers for Kurt to raise money for him, or sent out emails to all the businesses in Overland Park asking for endorsements and money for them. Okay, I want to give you a chance to respond to that. So, um, you know, the reason that I get this support is because Mike has scared all development away from the city. The development community doesn't believe if Mike is elected that we will do any future development. And our city is built on continual investment. 80% of my donations are from Overland Park businesses and Overland Park residents. Mike can categorize them however he wants to categorize them. I have lots of friends who are attorneys. I have lots of friends who are in the development business. But um, that was before I was even on the council. Look at the results. 16 years. Look at Metcalf. I do want to clarify what he's talking. It's not $13 million to the apartment project at city, at city Center, City Place. It is a sales tax exemption for construction materials. It is not $13 million. It's not, the city is not writing a check for $13 million to that developer. But we're giving up sales tax revenue for them to do it. While Overland Park was grabbing the headlines this week for officially declaring Monday Jason Sudeikis Day, guess what story from Overland Park was topping our headlines this time last year? Do you remember these stories? Some of them picked up nationally about how Overland Park was spending $350,000 of its federal COVID relief money on cameras for its soccer park. After a backlash, the city reversed course. 
But now you have real money to spend, more than $18 million from the federal government as part of the pandemic relief cash going to states and local cities. What is the number one best use for that money, Kurt Skoog? Well, so that's coming in two tranches. This year we got $9 million. Next year we're getting $9 million. And the $9 million this year has been focused on the parts of our community that have been hit hard by COVID. There's uh, money for the tourism trade because our hotels have been hit. There's money for small businesses. And then there's money to, uh, to fill back gaps within the city uh, that were cut because of uh, COVID <clears throat> issues. What would you put as the top priority for that money if you were mayor? Um, two things. One, I would look at the businesses that have been hurt by COVID and the lockdowns that we've had uh, in the past, and also the city for this uh, uh, convention center that has been damaged. Um, but I'd also start putting it into infrastructure. One of the, th the biggest issues we're facing, we talk about ship seal, but that's not, that, that's the small issue. That's just what we see every day. The bigger issue is we have 150 lane miles of roads that can no longer be resurfaced. We can patch them. We can do minor repairs on them, but they need to be reconstructed according to the Public Works uh, Department from September of 2020 in the City Council meeting. That's a backlog of $250 million of roads that need to be reconstructed in Overland Park. We need to start doing that. Uh, we have a couple of viewers who have one different passion for what, how they would decide between you. And they say, if I like the idea of the streetcar coming over to Kansas, do I even have a guy to vote for? Would either of you support an effort to bring the streetcar to Kansas, uh, to Overland Park? Well, Nick, it's, it's interesting. When we did the Vision Metcalf plan, the community came together and wanted to include what was thought of as that time as light rail on Metcalf. So the Vision Metcalf plan that I've been part of and an advocate for for over 14 years includes the idea of what we would now probably call the streetcar in Metcalf. And so, uh, so uh, I'm the one because that is in the plan and I will continue to have discussions along Mecca. That wouldn't have a listening ear in your oh, they, uh, they office? I definitely have a listening ear. And that's part of the difference between Kurt and I. I do have a listening ear. My primary platform has been listen to the voice of the residents, which we don't do in city council anymore. And I would, so um, I would listen. I would look at the business case to do that. And I would ask the residents. I would see, want to see what their view is of connecting us with light rail, the costs of it, um, the, the pros and cons of doing it, and, and who's going to benefit from it. And if we do, we should do it. In the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing about a downtown ballpark. And uh, Mayor Quinton Lucas says, you know, he'd only support that if, if we had uh, constituencies on the Kansas side coming forward to help fund that. Would you have an open ear to the mayor Absolutely. on listening to that conversation? Absolutely. We need to look at what the business case is for it and, and who, how we can all benefit from that. The issue with the current Arrowhead and Kauffman Stadium, I mean, it is, is one of the finest sports complexes in the country. But when Kemper donated that land to Kansas City, it was a cheap way to build them because they didn't have to pay for the land. They want to move it downtown. The problem with where it is right now, people go in, they tailgate, they do whatever else, and they, and they leave. There's no added business benefit to the businesses around it or the communities. If we can find a way so that all the communities benefit from it, I'd absolutely listen to it and consider it. Would you use your bully pulpit as mayor to support a downtown ballpark? Well, I'm also chair of the current Bi-State Commission, and I've been involved with the Mid-America Regional Council for the last 16 years, a past chair. 
So I have relationships in, and, uh, across the metropolitan area. And I think it's too early to know. I think we'll have to see how the project comes together and see um, um, what the benefits are for the entire metropolitan area, not just downtown Kansas City, Missouri. Congratulations. You have just been elected mayor of Overland Park. Well, thank you. You are now entering the mayor's office, and your first act, your first decision as mayor is blank. Well, the first uh, decision that you have as mayor is to uh, build a consensus among the new council because the mayor doesn't have a vote. So the council makes votes. And so uh, I will pull the council together, the new council, and find a consensus so that we can keep moving over the park moving forward. Mayor Sanigi has actually just been elected, in fact, and they said yes to you, and you go into the mayor's office, and that first act or decision you make is what? I think we have to do a very similar thing. We have to find a way to work together. Um, the, part of the issue with the current city council is there's so much animosity between several, several of the players. It's no longer a high-functioning group. So we do need to work with them and find out who the new players on are, um, how we need to work together, and what we need to do to listen to the residents to move our city forward. Kurt Skoog and Mike Zanegi, thank you for showing us there is more to you than the two-foot-wide cardboard yard signs on the side of the road. This election always seems so far away. But in person, early voting begins this weekend. And the election is not this Tuesday, but the Tuesday afterwards, so less than two weeks away. I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.